Hello and welcome to KXC. It's so good to see you all here. If I haven't met you before, my name is Lulu and I'm married to Tim and we're on staff at KXC in order to plant a church into East London. And it is a real privilege to be here and privilege to be part of this community and learning from all of you while we're kind of trained up for this time. Um, so t- we've started a series on Acts, and this is week two. And Tim did the overview last week. I thought it was very good. And so you should listen to it on the internet. Acts, he explained that Acts is volume two of Luke's gospel. So Luke describes in his gospel, which is a story about Jesus' life, what Jesus began. And then Acts is volume two. And it's what Jesus is continuing to do, but through the Holy Spirit. So it gets called the Acts of the Apostles, but really it should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit because it's the main character of the book is the Holy Spirit. And we're telling this origin story right now so that we can discover two things. The first is our identity as the people of God, and the second is our purpose as his church in this world. And we're not studying these origins to escape the present, but we're studying to better understand our DNA and our destiny as his people. And it feels like the Spirit is doing something very new at KXC, and it's very particular at the time. And so we're leaning into this. We sense there's this new season, this new equipping that's going on, and we're asking what it's for. And we think it's for the power to do more than we could do by ourselves, and for a better relationship with God. And I find this personally exciting. As Tim and I are planting a church, it's quite fun to be looking at the origins of the early church while we're trying to work out what it means to build a church. And so today we're looking at Acts 2, which is the moment that the Spirit is poured out on the early church and the church is born. So really, there's no church before that moment. There's just the disciples. The Spirit's poured out and then it catapults out across the world and it's really like an explosion explosion someone once said it's like god sneezed and now christianity is like the third it's a third of people in the whole world are christians so we're looking at this outpouring and what it means for us and god is pouring out something new in this time and i think we've only just begun to taste what this looks like as a community A few of us went away to a spa hotel a few weekends ago. It was gorgeous, and it was for the weekend away. And we had these amazing people come and speak to us from South Africa, Julian and Katia Adams, and I'll be speaking a little bit about that as I speak. But I think we tasted something amazing. We tasted this releasing of joy. There was laughter bubbling up around the room. We saw healing of burdens, things like anxiety and suicidal thoughts were named. And there seemed to be this pain that was coming out and God replacing it with joy. And a lot of people have been hearing the words from Isaiah 43. It says this, Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new things. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. And I think 2018 was quite a hard year for a lot of people, maybe even sort of across the board. And it seems like actually God is doing this new thing. He's bringing streams to our wasteland. He's bringing life where there's been a desert and new fruit where there's been hard, hard things going on. And I've been expecting the idea of new. I think when I think about it, I think that it will be like something that I've experienced before. Like it will be new joy, but joy that I've experienced before, or this new excitement that's like what happened before. But I actually think when God says new, 
he's talking about something we haven't yet experienced. And some of us experienced that as we walked through the weekend. It felt like we were kind of navigating this new thing. And it felt slightly awkward at times, but incredibly beautiful. And I think that's what he's doing. And we are tasting it, but we need to lean into it. And that's why we're teaching Acts now, is that the Holy Spirit wants to come fill each one of us. And we get to lean in. We get to make ourselves available to him. In Acts, Jesus told the disciples to go to Jerusalem and wait for him, and they did. And so that's what we get to do now. We get to wait for him. We get to lean in and allow him to do his new thing. So we're going to read Acts 2 together, and we're going to unpack it as we go. So if you have a Bible, feel free to open it or read on the screen. So the context is that the disciples are waiting in Jerusalem. They've had this totally baffling time where their best friend, who they thought would be this like warrior king and save them, has died. He's been killed by the Roman authorities. Then three days later, he's not dead anymore. He's risen again. And then he's been there with them 40 days, preparing them for what's to come. He's been teaching them. He's been telling them who he really is. He's been telling them about what's about to come. And he's told them to stay in Jerusalem and wait for the power of the Spirit. And then he's left. And they're waiting. So we read verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. So Pentecost is one of three Jewish pilgrimage festivals. So the Jewish people from all over the known world would join together in Jerusalem for these festivals. And Pentecost was 50 days after, um, after the Passover. It happens in about May or June. It's a harvest feast. So the population of Jerusalem is like swelling. There's lots of different cultures, but they're all from one Jewish racial group or a few people who have become Jews as well. And the disciples are waiting frankly, probably quite scared in the upper room. And verse 2 says, Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. So there's a storm. God comes into the room and there's there's this power that's present in the room. It's the moment that his power is poured out. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit And began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This is a really big deal. So we're going to talk for a moment about fire. Throughout the Old Testament scriptures, fire is a physical marker of God's presence. And the Jewish people knew this intimately. So when you've got the the burning bush, Moses is at the burning bush. The burning bush has God in it. God is in the fire. Then on top of Mount Sinai, when Moses is receiving the Ten Commandments, there's fire all over the mountain, and God's there speaking with Moses face to face. Then over the tabernacle, which was the tent where the Holy of Holies was, where they'd move this tent around the desert, fire, a pillar of fire would be over the tabernacle at night because God was there. And then when they built the temple, the Holy of Holies was moved from the tabernacle into the temple, and the pillar of fire moved with it because God was there. And when Old Testament prophets had visions of God, there was always fire because God was there. So fire is not just a description of God. Fire is God. And Luke's telling us that as fire rests on individual people, that God himself came to rest on individual people. For years, the Jewish law has been about people being separate from God. That God is too holy and you have to go through all these different systems and structures to get close to him. And even then, it's only for certain people. 
But then when Jesus died, the temple curtain that separated the Holy of Holies got ripped in two. And suddenly it broke down this dividing wall between us and God. And God was everywhere suddenly and available for everyone. But this is a whole new level. Something happens here that means that God's not even just limited to space, but he's living inside people. That fire God would rest on dirty human bodies is a really, really big deal. And it's significant for us because there's no church without this moment. There's no church without the Holy Spirit. He's not an optional extra if we want to be in the church. He agitated the disciples to be more than they could have ever been by themselves. Because a chain reaction happened, and that's significant for us in this room. We wouldn't be here without this moment. And so what that means for us today is that if fire marks temple space, and the place where heaven and earth meet, where before people die if they got too close, suddenly the fire settles on people and God's people are now marked as the place where God lives. This means that you and I now bring his presence, his holiness, his kingdom, his power to the places that we eat, we walk, we gather, we sleep. It's a really big deal. Do you know that God lives inside you, that he's that close and he wants to get closer? So let's go back to the passage, verse 5. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They have had too much wine. The disciples are obviously behaving in a slightly unusual way. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you supposed. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. This is the key bit. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, they will prophesy. I'll pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I'll show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Peter's using this Old Testament prophecy to explain what God's doing, that he's doing what he's always promised to do. And notice all. It's not just Peter, Jesus' special rock, or John, the one that he loved. It's all. They each get to be filled with God's living presence. And that's not just for then, it's for today too. 
You see, when Peter quotes the prophet Joel, he talks about the last days, which is a significant phrase. And the last days is the time between Jesus' resurrection and then when we believe that he's coming back. So it's now, it's today, it's the 3rd of February. The last days are now. This is available for us now. We get to be filled by the Holy Spirit today like those disciples were. And this moment of the Spirit wasn't just to kickstart the church, although that is what it did. It was what was given to them is available for us today. Because it's for the whole world. It's for us to go out and then be for the whole world. There's so much of God's kingdom to be had. The Spirit is for bringing his kingdom down to earth now. And at that moment when we get filled, his kingdom invades the spaces around us. It invades our homes, our hospitals, schools. It invades our public places because we take him there. We'll come back to that. Verse 22, Peter stands up. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Then we'll go to verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all who the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Wow. Imagine if that happened right now. 3,000 people just ran in to the room. That would be interesting. So the Holy Spirit comes in power in this moment, in a small corner of the world, in Jerusalem, on a random festival day, with a small Jewish sect, and 3,000 people believe that he's the Messiah. What's that got to do with us today at KXC? Everything. Like the disciples before the Holy Spirit came, KXC has been in a time of waiting and preparation. And now there's this new season a lot of people have been sensing. Pete keeps telling us to wear spring clothes, even though it's freezing. So we're in a new season, and in that new season, God has things for us to do. There's this life coming, and I believe that God wants to pour out his spirit in the same way that he did in Acts 2, for each of us to be filled with power, for each of us to be equipped with gifts so that many can come to know Jesus, so that we'd look more like the people and the church that he's called us to, and so that the world would know who he is. He's equipping us with the same spirit, with gifts, with healing, prophecy, evangelism, speaking gifts, with the gift of tongues, with joy, with faith. And he's catapulting us out into the streets to change lives and the culture. And I think sometimes we can feel ill-equipped or reluctant, like it just won't happen to us. But I urge you to lean in afresh, even if you've asked loads of times, lean in again. 
The world only gets blessed when the church is fully alive. So today I want to talk about four things, particularly from this passage that's relevant to us. I want to talk about him coming to fill us. And then from that, as he fills us, him giving us three things. The first is that I think he wants to release joy to us as a church. The second is I think he wants to equip us with different kinds of gifts. And then the third is that I think he wants to build our faith, give us totally new faith lenses. So first, he wants to fill us. The first time that I kind of met the Holy Spirit... I think of the Holy Spirit now as my playmate, by the way, which is slightly irreverent. Um, But you can park that, and we can talk about that later. Um, So the first time I really met the Holy Spirit, obviously I'd I'd grown up in a Christian home, but I met Jesus properly when I was about 19. And obviously when you meet God, you meet all all of God at once. You meet the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So I'd kind of, I'd obviously known the Holy Spirit as I accepted Jesus into my life. But I was studying in Edinburgh, and having met Jesus was extraordinary, but there seemed to be more to be had of God. People started talking about this this more, that we could be increasingly filled with his presence. And I'd been around people who'd heard his voice, who'd had words and pictures, and would say that to people, encourage people, and that seemed to be incredibly encouraging for people. And then people had also talked to me about healing, about how they'd like laid their hands on people and people had sometimes felt warmth or tingling and then those people who'd been prayed for had healed and walked out healed. And it seemed somehow like me being filled with the Holy Spirit meant that I could have this intimate connection with God that was for me, but also for way more than me, for my church community and for people in the streets and in our nation and in the world that God longs for. That to be filled with his Holy Spirit meant being equipped to be his hands and feet for the world and that hearing his voice and performing miracles was all part of that. And I desperately wanted that. So one day at church, our pastor invited people to come forward if they'd never experienced what it was to have this sense of being filled afresh with the Holy Spirit. And so I went to the front, and I kneeled at the, I knelt at the front, and I experienced very, very gently God's presence filling me. I was very, very peaceful, and then I started to shake a little bit, and then I got very, very warm. And after that, just... Each time I was in church, and then increasingly on my own in my room, I would ask the Holy Spirit to come and fill me and experience the same thing. His presence, him physically filling me, heat, which was lovely because I'm always cold. And so it was really nice to be warm in Edinburgh and also more shaking. But then there were other things too. I began to pray for people and see them healed. I began to hear his voice and see that that would encourage others. And I began to hear his voice speak to me about things that he was doing in the city or in the nation. And that felt incredibly exciting. And I also felt this deep, deep sense of peace and love of being known. And I think um, that I'm still learning that. I'm still learning that as he fills me with his presence, I learn that I'm loved, I learn that I'm enough, I learn that I'm accepted. And that's something that is growing and growing and growing. And it's taught me this sense of freedom, 
of confidence that I'm his daughter, so I don't need to be afraid, that I reign with him in heavenly places and that I'm filled with the fullness of God. And all the things that I just said are actually basically biblical quotes. The thing about being filled with the Spirit is that he, he testifies that those things are true. Often we read the Bible and they feel kind of separate, they feel like abstract theories, and when we get filled with the Spirit, he makes them real for us. So he's continuing to do that in my life, and he makes me brave. And so my relationship with God has really been changed through this experience of continuing on this adventure, of continuing being filled. And I'd had seasons before this of being quite wild at university. But when I met the Holy Spirit, when I met Jesus, and this changed my life, he opened up a totally new kind of wildness, a new freedom in my life, one that was totally committed to him and to his church. And it felt actually like liberation, where I hadn't found it anywhere else. My friend, who became a Christian around the same time, described it as switching the TV from black and white to colour, from being indoors to suddenly going outdoors, to going from 1D to 3D. So if you want more of God, I think also it's not just about hanging around this room. Obviously, in a moment, we're going to stand and wait for him to fill us. But what happens in Acts 2 is the disciples are very, very afraid. They wait, they get filled, and then they're sent out onto the streets. And I love this environment. I absolutely love being in this room in gatherings of Christians and worshipping. But in my experience, when I want more of God, when I also want more of his wildness, when I go out onto the streets, I encounter those who don't know God, and it's really fun. I am... Recently, something like this happened in Edinburgh as well, but I recently prayed for a man called Dave who I met in the streets in Bethnal Green. And all I had was my keys on me, and he was clearly a street sleeper. He had sores all up his legs and bandages all the way up them. And um, I went over to talk to him, and he was like, can you give me money? Can you buy me paracetamol? And I was like, I genuinely only have my keys on me, but I'd love to pray for you. And he seemed quite surprised because he thought I was going to tell him off. And I sat with him and I just put my hand on his shoulder and asked God to come and show him who he was. And he was visibly filled with the Holy Spirit. He had this like extraordinary peace come over him. He closed his eyes and he started sort of like shaking a little bit. And he just had this, this kind of smile on his face. And I could just see that God was filling him, that he was meeting his creator in that moment. And I got to then tell him a little bit about who Jesus was and what he'd done for him. And I happened to bump into him the next day when I was running for a bus, and suddenly this man ran out at me and was like, lady, lady! <laughs> and I was like, how are your legs? And he wouldn't answer the question, but he was very excited. I prayed for healing for his legs. Anyway, he was very excited um, to see me, which was nice. So at the end, we will stand and we'll ask the Holy Spirit to come and fill each one of us. We'll ask him if we can know more of him to change our relationship with him. So we'll hold out our hands. And I just encourage you to to ask him to fill you, to ask him for more. Each one of us can ask him for more. He longs to fill us. He longs to equip us as his community and to give us gifts. Um, I also think God wants to release joy to us. He wants to release joy to us. Someone recently said to me that when they saw the Holy Spirit doing something particularly strange at a meeting, they said, that was quite a lot to take. And I think the whole of Acts 2 is quite a lot to take. But particularly verse 13, some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. 
So I'm not condoning getting drunk. But I think something must have been going on that was a little bit different in this moment. People who are drunk look different. And why would people have said that they looked drunk? Something must have been going on, something wild, something beyond the storm and the languages, something in their bodies. And when people have too much wine, the good bits, they get affectionate, or the bad bits, they get angry and maybe sometimes emotional. And people become freer with their bodies, they dance, they're louder, they're more joyful. And I think that some of that was what people were seeing. An overflow of joy that was beyond just this deep, abstract, kind of emotional thought experience, but which came out in people's bodies. And that was about, it changed their relationships, it changed their words, it changed how they were meeting with people, it changed how they were understanding God. It was all about God, but it, it changed who they were and how they were together. And 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So the disciples are experiencing this freedom. And it's different from our culture's idea of freedom, which says that we're free to choose, we're free to be our own masters. Here, the biblical vision is about choosing, choosing God. And as he comes in, he sets us free, free from things like addiction and fear. And I think God's got this for some of us this evening. He wants to liberate our minds, but also our bodies, and to bring freedom to us through joy. And again, the weekend away, sorry if you weren't there, we'll probably all keep talking about it. Um, But there was this amazing joy. There was this holy laughter that rose up in the room, which sometimes is a little bit disconcerting. It's one of those too-much-to-take moments sometimes. Um, And it seems to be one of the strange things that the Holy Spirit does. But I think at KXC, we're quite almost quite used to God releasing our pain and it's such a beautiful thing I think people come here and experience healing and often pain that we've kept inside of us gets released and we experience God's healing but I think he wants to do the other side of that now begin to release our joy and unlock deep joy in some of us that we've had haven't quite experienced since we were a child that maybe got locked down or some of us he just wants to give us joy for the first time The Bible talks about the joy of our Lord being our strength. Joy makes us strong. It liberates us, partly because the enemy doesn't understand joy. He's de-creative. He just wrecks things. Whereas joy is creative. It's like mist to him. He forgets what he's trying to do to us when we're joyful and just disappears. And the disciples start afraid, and then they end full of faith. And I think some of that was the joy that filled them. We're meant to be good at mourning, and we are meant to be good at sitting with people in pain. And if you're in pain right now, that's okay. We want to sit with you, and we want to fight for you. But we are also encouraged to be ridiculously good at celebrating and knowing joy, because we've got the best news of anyone, that Jesus has saved us by dying for us, that God now lives in us through the Holy Spirit, and that this brings immense beauty. The world is literally drowning in confusion and sadness and disillusionment and I think we think sometimes the answer to these serious problems is to get more serious and to be aggressive and to work really hard and obviously working hard is good and using our gifts is good but I think sometimes joy is a tool and an answer that we can use and this looks really different for each of us One way of cultivating joy is through playfulness. The spirit is very playful. I said earlier, he's like my playmate. 
Um, and drunk people lose these inhibitions. They become joyful. And I think there's a calling to become a little bit more like that, not actually drunk, but playful in the spirit. He invites us to join his party of joy. And as an artist, I love the art world, but I find sometimes galleries and exhibitions deathly boring. And so I often try and make art projects that bring life and joy. When I was in Spain, I um, convinced these residents of this massive tower block to hang two-meter-high kites to their balconies for a day. It was this tallest tower block on the peninsula, so you could see this color from miles around. And it just felt just felt like, why not? Why not inject joy into the mundane of people's lives? One day I also handed out daffodils to people in Edinburgh, and people were very, very suspicious. <laughs> that was sort of an art project. <laughs> so joy cuts through the depression and drudgery of our times. And it's like fresh air, but the fresh air is better than you could imagine. And we can't drum it up. It's just a gift. One of the most playful things I like to do is to dance as well. And dancing is ridiculous. Some people can do it really well. Some people are terrible at it. One of the things I love most about my husband is his dance moves. If you get him at a party, ask him to reveal them to you. So Tim says that he's post-rhythm and that rhythm... (laughs) Rhythm is a cage that he's broken free of. And that people who are good at rhythm are trapped in a cage. (laughs) So at our wedding, at our first dance, it was Dance with Somebody by Whitney Houston, which was fantastic. And um, we basically just went wild on our own, separately at different ends of the dance floor. And um, we were having so much fun that people couldn't wait and just like rushed in really quickly to join us. And I think there was something about that moment of like freedom and joy that um, that call people in. And I think that's what God does. He is so joyful. And I think that's, what, that's how we get to be a beacon to the world, is by being that kind of level of joy that people can't help but rush in and join the party. Before we move on from joy, I just want to talk about playfulness for a moment. Um, sorry, not playfulness, dancing. I think God wants to release some of us to dance. I love to dance. I like dancing on my own in my flat and doing it as worships Jesus. I'm literally just like working out any moves that my body can do that I haven't worked out before. Um, and every time I dance in church, it seems to cost something. It costs something because it looks a bit silly. I'm not trained, so I don't have anything good to fall back on. I worry about looking like I'm part of some 70s interpretive dance troupe. And then I forget about that because I just really love Jesus and I want to worship him. And the freedom that I experience as I kind of get over my fear is mind-blowingly good. And I think dancing lifts shame and it brings this joy. And I think it also releases other people around us. So if you want to dance, if not everyone will want to dance, that's fine. You don't all have to dance. But if you've got this desire inside you to dance, go for it. Jesus loves it. Great. That was being filled and joy. So the third thing I want to talk about is us being equipping, being equipped by God, by the Holy Spirit with certain gifts. And the first one is the gift of tongues. So verse 4 says, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Here it says they all spoke in tongues. 
What are tongues? 2 Corinthians talks about tongues as an angelic language. And it seems that each person has a unique tongue. It's like our fingerprints are all unique. Our tongue is the same. Sometimes it seems like it's just for us and God. Sometimes there'll be something that seems like it's for everyone. And then another person in the room seems to receive an interpretation. And then sometimes, like in Acts 2, there seems to be a time when people are speaking actual languages and other people are understanding it. It's a strange idea that God would give us this language that doesn't make sense to human ears, but isn't it the case that God loves to give good gifts to his children? Why would he give us a tongue? It's because he wants to have a relationship with you. It's because he wants it to be different from every other relationship that you have. He wants to create a new channel of communication. By speaking in tongues, you relate to God yourself in a totally unique way. So tongues is this love language between us and God. My mum explained it to me once as a child loving a parent. Before they have language, they just look at their parent with love and they make these noises. And that's a little bit like tongues. It's a love language between us and God. So as the Spirit's poured out, we speak this love language to him. Sometimes it comes up naturally. Sometimes we have to train ourselves. I had to, like, train myself. I sort of spent a lot of time, like the dancing, in my room making weird noises with my voice and eventually... I discovered what tongues was. We can talk about that later as well, if you want to. (laughs) So the Spirit enables us to speak in new tongues. He also enables us to prophesy. Verse 17 talks about the Spirit being poured out on all people and all people prophesying. The Spirit communicates the things of God to his people, and then we get to release them to the world. He's always been speaking and always has extraordinary things to say to each of you. And I think tonight and in this new season, he's releasing new dreams, new things that we haven't yet seen. At the weekend away, Julian, one of the speakers, spent 40 minutes prophesying over individuals in a room like this. He would have a word that he understood from God. Like our friend Heather, he had the word Mayfield, and it turned out she worked on Mayfield Road. And then he, she stood up and he just told her about her life, of the things that she'd done. And it was so beautiful. It was so beautiful to be in that room and watch the God of heaven speaking through his people to his people that he loved. And it almost didn't matter whether... It was just a deep privilege to be in that room, whether you were being prophesied over or not. It was like experiencing something holy of God loving his people, and it was encouraging for everyone. And I think we're amazing here at pressing into prophecy, but I think God's got more for us. So keep leaning in, keep listening, keep training. It's like um, tuning in to the right radio channel. Just keep working that muscle, and he will speak. He calls us his friends. He wants to share the depths of his plans with us. So he wants to equip us with tongues and with prophecy. He also wants to equip us with gifts of healing. Acts 2 talks about these last days, which is the now and the not yet. And obviously at the end of that, when Jesus comes back, we have this future, the new heavens and the new earth, where there's perfect peace. There's no sickness. But in the last days, we're basically calling that into the present now. We're bringing his future into the present by the Holy Spirit and my sen- the sense that you read Acts is that there's, like, there's so much healing, and I think there's so much healing for us. I don't think we've seen a lot of healing, but I think that's something that God wants to do in this next season. I once visited some healing rooms at a church, 
And this was just the waiting, like the warm-up room before you go and get prayed for. And people were sort of wandering around doing the, like, that's hard to take stuff in the spirit. And um, people were having words from God and taking the microphone and coming to the front and being like, I've got a right shoulder. And then people would put up their hands if they had a sore right shoulder. And then he'd be like, you and you. And as he went around the room pointing at them, they'd be like, oh, my shoulder's healed. And this happened multiple times. And um, I saw another woman had just been in the toilet. And I actually sadly can't remember what her illness was, sorry. But she came back in and had had this like life-altering illness and came back in from the loo and had just been miraculously healed. It was an illness where you don't have any, um, any uh, spit in your mouth. And suddenly she knew she was healed because it all came back into her mouth. God wants to do that kind of healing in our church. And I know that healing can be hard, partly because we swim in this culture of cynicism. That's just the water that we swim in, so we think that it's a bit weird and we can't be bothered to try. But I just encourage you to lean in, lean through the cynicism and just keep praying. The more that we pray, the more we will see people healed. And I think also some of us feel afraid of healing because we've prayed and it hasn't worked and some of that's been deeply tragic for us. Some of us in this room have probably lost loved ones when we believed that God would heal them and I'm so sorry if that's been the case and that's been painful but I also think that we get to hold that in the tension that we believe in a God who's still healing and he still wants to pour out his healing and I think we want to allow this Acts message and scripture to define our experience of God rather than the other way around. To let our experience define our theology leads us into despair. We need to allow it to be the other way around. And it's amazing fun risking praying for people. I've had quite a lot of fun on the streets and also praying for friends, which feels a lot more awkward. And often on the streets, I pray for someone and then run away before I can find out if they're healed because I'm just panicked. Um, But once I did this, prayed for a guy in Brixton... The next night, I bumped into him in Camden, totally different place. He said that his foot had got worse, not better, but I felt like God was on the move, and that was fun. Um, And another, I prayed for a friend called Miguel, who was an anarchist barman in Spain once, who was actually a friend, and in that moment, his knee was healed. And it was amazing watching his face as he suddenly had to contemplate that maybe God was real and loved him. So take risks, be bold, have fun. Finally, he wants to equip us with revelation of who he is. I think sometimes Christians make a division between understanding God and experiencing God. And here in Acts 2, it's clear that the fullness of the Spirit enables us to understand and know God better. Peter's an uneducated fisherman. He spent loads of time with Jesus. He hasn't got it until now, and suddenly he gets it. He's able to stand in front of a loud, large crowd, be very eloquent and articulate, understand the whole of the scriptures and explain them beautifully. And nowhere in the Gospels until this moment does it show him understanding all of that anywhere. Suddenly, as he's filled with the Spirit, the fullness of God is revealed. And I think he longs to do that. I think some of us who really value our brains, which is amazing, value your brains, I think he actually wants to come and show us that as we're filled with the Spirit, we'll our brains will be like, their capacity will be increased and we'll know him better. And I actually think as this happens, I think some people, um, preaching gifts are going to be released in the room.
So he wants to equip us with tongues, prophecy, healing, and revelation of him. And finally, he wants to build our faith. I think this is the key one for us. This is what the new thing is going to toast like. At the weekend away, Julian talked about how he thought that the main thing, the main reason that he and Katty had flown like thousands of miles across the world was to give us faith. And I think this is our key calling as the church, to grow our faith. Tim and I have this pep talk before we run into any large bodies of cold water. It's like sea, lakes, river. This is the pep talk. Future self. Think of future self. Future self knows that unless it's minus two or just dangerous, that it's never a mistake to go wild swimming. Future self will experience energy and shock from the cold and liberation and joy from being alive and experiencing the rawness of the elements that God's made us to enjoy. So future self overtakes present self and we run into the water. I often go quite slowly. The thing with future self is that we're able to summon her up because future self is actually past self. I've met future self before. I know the joy that running into freezing cold water brings. But if God's doing a new thing, a thing we've never known before, then we might need to ask him to give us a new glimpse of future self. Or just take a punt on past selves and realize that what he's got for us is going to be wildly better. Hebrews 11 describes faith as confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. The author lists the heroes of faith. Noah is one of them. He built a boat in a desert. That's absurd confidence in future self. I think God's inviting us to say hello to a new version of future self that we haven't met yet. And if you find it hard to imagine, ask, what are your deepest longings? What frustration is God stirring? What hope is he stirring? What entrepreneurial ideas have been bubbling in your head the last week or two? What's the taste that leaves in your mouth? And what's the hope you almost dare not to dream of? Then take that and like double and triple it and multiply it loads. I think God wants to rip down our inhibitions as a church and equip us with more of his power. He's called us to rule and reign with him. To rule the earth and subdue it. That's our Genesis calling. He's called us to liberate the earth from sickness and slavery and suffering, to innovate, to create new things that have never been seen before, to bring about creative miracles, to see lives transformed, to see thousands come to know Jesus Christ in one day. We can only do this in the power of the Spirit, with his fire on our heads and his presence living in us. And he is sending us out to transform London and the world around us. This city is waiting for us. Creation itself waits for us. And it starts with a craving to be filled. And to be honest, we could carry on like this, couldn't we? We could meet together every Sunday for the next 80 years. No, most of us probably won't live that long. 50 years. And just carry on. And it would be really good. But I think he's got a lot more for us. And I think that's what the season, that's what's being announced. And what's down to us is to ask for him. And if we aren't hungry, to ask for him to make us hungry. And then to wait for him. And then to be filled. So Acts is for now. We're in a new season. And he's wanting to fill us. 
He's wanting to equip us with joy, with lots of different gifts like tongues and healing, with revelation of who he is and prophecy. And he wants to totally explode our faith so that we as a people, not just as individuals, but as a people can be the people that God's calling us to be and to be the church that's like a city on a hill that will not be hidden, that the city of London will be different because of us. And I think, just before we stand, I think that actually when the Spirit comes, some of us will continue with what we're doing and it will be more of him. But I think for some of us, there are going to be 180 degree turnings in careers, in things, places and ways that we felt our lives are going. And I don't want to hype this up. People often talk about the Spirit and hype it up, but I think we do need to talk about it. We need to talk about it as an option because I think that's actually what he wants to do for some people. And some of us, that will happen tonight.